Good morning, guys. Good morning. Good morning to those of you online. How you fellers doing on there? Huh? I didn't get canned last week, so which is good, you know. But John Mark did throw throw he did throw a rock at me afterwards, just for good measure. You know what I mean? But uh, anyway, if you don't know uh, what we did last week, last week we talked about Stephen, and we're in a current series called Whatever It Takes, right? We're in this series called Whatever uh, It Takes, and we're kind of going through guys and, and their lives in Scripture, going through and doing whatever it takes for specifically the Gospel. So if you have your copy of God's Word, please open it up or turn it on. We're in Matthew chapter 3. We are in Matthew chapter Three. And so I got the call last night about 8.45, so I'm going to throw John Mark under the bus. He called me about 8.45 last night and said, hey, I just got done at the golf tournament. How many of you were in, at the golf tournament? All right. How many of you lied about your score? There, there you go. All right. We have a few honest guys in here. <laughs> well, <laughs> I know you're honest about lying, so we appreciate that. But uh, we are, uh, <laughs> so he, he called me up and he said, hey, listen, you know, hey, can you, can you cover for me tomorrow morning? And I said, absolutely. And uh, so we've been going through this series called Whatever It Takes for the Gospel. And here uh, on Tuesday mornings, if you're just now uh, joining us or this is your first time, and by the way, if this is your first time, welcome to those of you online, as well as those of you that are here in person, whether it's your first time here ever or your first time uh, to be back in person. Boy, we are sure glad that you're here, and uh, I would love to shake your hand uh, after, after our time here today. Uh, but uh, Pastor will be back next week, but we've been taking time. In the first two weeks we started, we talked about Paul. Okay, we talked about Paul and how he did whatever uh, it took. And we know eventually that Paul was martyred for his faith. Last week we talked about Stephen. Stephen uh, had, was a man of service. He was a guy full of faith. And so uh, he was, he's an example that uh, even a lot of deacons' bodies a lot of deacons bodies use uh, when it comes to service because this was a guy that he just stepped up to the plate and scripture says that he was full of faith and what does that simply mean he was a man that not only believed in Jesus Christ as his personal Lord and Savior but then put his faith into action being one of those few seven men called to serve the widows there uh, in the early church but he was martyred because uh, of of his actions and because of his speech calling the Sanhedrin uh, stiff-necked people. And of course, it, it enraged them. They grabbed him, drug him out into the streets and stoned him. But it was because of his faith and his testimony in Jesus Christ that scattered all the Christians all throughout uh, uh, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And uh, the Christian faith was just not held there in Jerusalem. It was because of his sacrifice for Christ that scattered the message of Jesus Christ all throughout. Now today we're going to talk about a guy that's kind of a little bit of a, of a different guy. He's a weird guy and he's known as, as John the Baptist. And really, John the Baptist <clears throat> is one of those guys, he's kind of the warm-up act 
for Jesus, okay? Now, I don't know about you, but I've been to a few concerts. How many of y'all been to a few concerts, okay? And at the concert, okay, you, 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 uh, you show up there, and they always have a warm-up act, okay? I remember back in the, in the early aughts, I went and saw uh, 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 David... Um, man, who was the lead singer for Van Halen? Who was that guy? David Lee Roth, that, that's right. I went and I saw David Lee Roth, and it was about the time when Pink was becoming popular. And so my wife and I, you know, we're, we're standing there, we're waiting for David Lee Roth, and all of a sudden, this chick walks out, and it's, and it's Pink, and she goes kind of through her song, and we're like, hey, that's, that's, that's pretty good music. Next thing you know, we're hearing her on the radio all the time. Uh, when I was in seminary, um, ACDC and uh, Aerosmith, came to Dallas. Y'all remember that? Do, do, how many of y'all went to that concert? Okay. <laughs> well, I'm going to tell you right now. ACDC, Aerosmith, they came to Dallas and it was back, and I remember this because it was during my seminary finals in December of 2004. It was just before I was getting ready to walk the stage. And I can remember sitting there going, you know, I could probably fail this, I could probably skip this uh, final and go to the concert. And it crossed my mind to do that. I mean, like, I seriously thought about it. Could I? But here's the deal is when they were coming to town, it was a joke as to who was going to be the opening act. Was it going to be ACDC? Ah! You know, with Angus Young? Or was it going to be, you know, Aerosmith? You know? Uh, with Steven Tyler? Who was going to open? And it came... Uh, uh, what, what they announced was is that at every city they would switch off as to who would be the opening act, who would be the warm-up act for the, for the other person. Um, comedians all the time. What do they do? They have a warm-up act, right? You have a crowd out there. And the whole point of a warm-up act is to kind of get people focused on what's going on on the stage, kind of kind of get them, if you're a comedian, you want that warm-up act to come up and kind of get people loosened up. Hey, let's get them kind of in the habit of laughing at a few jokes. We got a warm-up acts here. We had Sloan's, right? Sloan's came up here, right? He was the warm-up act, right? Give Sloan's a hand, all right, for the warm-up. It's hard to be the warm-up act, all right? It is hard to kind of get the crowd focused on what's going on. And John the Baptist, he is the warm-up act for Jesus. The warm-up act has a hard and a tough job. Okay? The warm-up act has a hard, they have a tough job. It is hard to get up here and to do the news you can use. John Mark is so good at it. You know why? Because he's done it for so many years. He's done it for so many years. But guys like Sloan's, guys like me, Frazier, Frazier, he doesn't even want to do the warm-up act. He's like, I'm no good. Right? Right? Yeah. See? <laughs> Did you hear that? He has a sign for me. That means he's going to throw something at me. That's okay. The Lord loves you. Guess what? John the Baptist, he's the warm-up act. And that is a hard job to do. It's tough. Yes, you get good experience, and that's the point of the warm-up act. It, it, you got to warm up the crowd, but then also you get experience. You're cutting your teeth. You're figuring out what works and what doesn't. But John the Baptist, 
He is the warm-up act. We're in Matthew chapter 3. And as you turn there, uh, I just want to kind of give you a brief history of John the Baptist. First of all, John the Baptist, his birth... Uh, was a miracle. He was born to elderly parents who had never been able uh, to have children. You can find this out in Luke chapter 1. The angel Gabriel, bless you, the angel Gabriel announced to Zechariah, a Levitical priest, he said, hey, listen, you're going to have a son. And Zechariah laughed at the angel. He's like, there's no way. We are too old. He didn't believe it. He was unwilling to believe that God was going to do and perform this miracle in their lives. As a matter of fact, because of his unbelief, Zechariah could not speak through the whole pregnancy. He couldn't speak until John was actually born. It's even said in Luke chapter 1, what this child is going to be, who he will be before John the Baptist is even born. It is spoken, it is predicted about who this man is going to be. It says, and he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. He will bring back many people, many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord. Right there we see in Luke chapter 1 that He is the opening act. He will go on before the Lord in spirit and in the power of Elijah and make ready a people prepared for the Lord. After John the Baptist was born, Zechariah said this in Luke chapter 1 verse 76, about his son. He said, You, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord and prepare a way for him. You will go on before the Lord. John, you are the opening act. John the Baptist was related to Jesus, for their mothers were relatives, we find out in Luke chapter 1, verse 36, as a matter of fact, when Gabriel told Mary that she was going to be the mother to the Savior of the world, he also told her about John when Mary was carrying Jesus in her womb and went to visit Elizabeth. When Mary spoke, John the Baptist, it says in Scripture, jumped in Elizabeth's tummy at the voice of Mary. After John the Baptist was born, he lived a rugged life up in the mountains in the area of Judea between the city of Jerusalem and the Dead Sea. He wore clothes made of camel's hair and leather and a leather belt around his waist, which is the typical garb of a prophet. He, his diet was a simple one. He ate locusts and wild honey in Matthew chapter 3, verse 4, it says. And John lived a simple life focused strictly on the kingdom work set before him. John's ministry grew in popularity as John the Baptist that baptized Jesus. He continued to preach and to teach. Later, King Herod put John the Baptist in prison and eventually cut off his head to satisfy his wife. 
Herod had married the former wife of his brother Philip. In essence, he married his niece. And John boldly spoke out against this. Of course, man, that ain't right. You know, you look at something and go, man, that ain't right. John the Baptist looks at this marriage and goes, man, that, that ain't right. DLR, don't look right. And so he spoke out about this. Of course, Herod's wife was not happy. And so she convinced her husband to capture John the Baptist. And then Herod reluctantly cut off his head. Now, you can go in and you can read in more detail John the Baptist and his life. But there's one part in John the Baptist's life that I'd like to focus on. And it's in Matthew chapter 3, verses 5 through 12. And this is what it says. And people went out to him, meaning to John the Baptist, from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. Everyone say baptize. And let me hear you. I know it's early in the morning. Let me hear you say baptize. Okay? Verse 7. But when they saw, but when he saw, this is John the Baptist, when he saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. Everyone say repentance. Oh, come on, let me hear you say it. Let me hear you say repentance. There you go. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children For Abraham, the axe is already at the root of the trees. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. And every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize, everyone say baptize. I baptize you with water for repentance. Say repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. When you look at this uh, passage, there are three thoughts you see from this passage. And the first thought is this, is that John the Baptist's message was calling people to be honest with God. John's message was calling people to be honest with God. Not to be honest with each other, not to be honest with their employer, not to be honest with their family, but really to be honest with God. He was calling individuals to be honest with God. If you look there in verse 5, it says, And the people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins, they were baptized by him, in the Jordan River. Now from the very beginning of John the Baptist and his ministry, he had a simple message. It was easy to understand. It wasn't complicated. It didn't require much thought. Okay? It was easy to understand. didn't require much thought. And the actions to respond to his message were extremely Simple. 
Earlier on in the chapter, in Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, it says this, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, and here's the message. Here's the message John was saying. Simple message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's it. That's his message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, that is a plain and simple message, is it not? Pretty plain, pretty simple, easy for us to understand. Repent of your sins. God is near. That's his message. Repent of your sins. God is near. And the Jewish people, if you are a Jew, you have been raised your whole life knowing that God does not like sin. And so for the Jewish people to hear this man come and say, hey, listen, repent. The kingdom is near. What they are hearing is, Hey, listen, God is coming. God is coming close. God is drawing near. And Jews know the Old Testament and they know what the prophets have said about God and His view of sin. They know this. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 13 the prophet writes this, Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. So the Jewish people, when they hear this, hey, listen, the kingdom is coming, the kingdom is near, God is near, then they know deep down in their hearts, God does not like sin. Henceforth, I have to do something. I need to change. I need to repent. I need to repent. All of a sudden they hear this simple message and it triggers something in their minds and in their hearts and they say, I need, I need to repent. I need to prepare for God to come. We know in Scripture that God is perfect and that He does not like sin. God does not like sin. And it's not like God doesn't like sin, like He doesn't like vanilla ice cream, kind of like He doesn't like sin, right? God, it's not that God doesn't like sin. God hates sin. He hates it. Perfection does not like sin. Perfection hates sin. 1 John 1.5 This is the message we have heard from Him and declared to you. God is light in Him. There is no darkness. There is not any darkness in God. There is not even a small little teeny tiny atom of a speck of darkness in God. He is pure, 100% light. What does Peter write in 1 Peter 1, 15 and 16? But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. You be holy because I am holy. God desires us to be holy. You know why? Because He is perfect. He is holy Himself. And so when the Jewish people, when they hear this, there's something that triggers in their mind and they say, hey, something must happen. And so John calls the people, he calls the people to repentance and then to baptism. Now, 
we're going to wade into this just a little bit, and I'm going to summarize a lot. But the whole idea of baptism has been around in the Old Testament. The priests uh, had what's called a ritual cleaning, okay? And this was in order for them to serve in the tabernacle and in the temple. So ritually, they would have to come, and before they could serve, they had to clean themselves. And so it was a ritual type of deal. They would go in and they would clean their hands, clean their feet, kind of clean their body. And that was a symbol to God that they were clean, that they had cleansed themselves. In Scripture, we also see that people... Just normal, average people, when they entered into the tabernacle, when they entered into the temple to worship, they would have to be ritually clean. As a matter of fact, there were rules in the Jewish faith about being ritually clean. If you touched a dead body, guess what? You had to wait a certain amount of time. You had to stay away from people for for a certain amount of time. And then you had to go bathe. You had to then go and be clean. It was a ritual clean. You can read this in in Leviticus chapter 15 as well as Exodus chapter 30. This is done on a regular basis. So the idea of John the Baptist coming and saying, Hey, listen, all of you need to repent and then you need to be baptized from a Jewish perspective, they understand, hey, listen, I need to be ritually clean for the coming of the kingdom. And so baptism back in the Old Testament was simply a symbolic gesture on the outside of what God is doing in their heart on the inside. They come forward and they say, hey, listen, I have repented of my sin and now I will be baptized. Does does the water cleanse them of their sin? No. Does the water make them right with God? No. It is an outward display, an outward symbol to everyone else around them that they have turned and repented. What is baptism? What is baptism today? It's the exact same thing. It is a symbol of what Jesus Christ has done in our hearts and in our lives. It is a symbol. It shows people. It is a witness. And it shows to all the world what we have done. We have admitted that we are sinners. We've asked Jesus Christ into our lives. We've been buried. And our old self has passed away. And then when we come out of the water, what are we? We're clean. Baptism is simply a picture of what God has done in our hearts and in our lives. Baptism does not save. Only Jesus Christ saves. Baptism does not clean. It's a symbol of what God has cleaned in our hearts and our lives. Because guess what? I will be baptized, but then I'm going to go outside... I'm I'm going to tell you, I've gotten dirty after I've been baptized. Y'all with me on that? So guess what? I got to take another shower. But internally, man, God, He cleanses me. And so this idea of coming 
and being baptized and hearing repentance and then being baptized. It is a symbol, but get this, it is a symbol that has to be done over and over and over again. You see, today we only need to be baptized once. But back then, hey, I mess up. I need to repent. I probably need to go get baptized again. Just to show people that I am sorry. Now we could get into more about this, but I don't want to. Here's, here's what, and we can talk about it afterwards, but here's really what we're getting down to it is that there is a message of repentance that Paul or that, that uh, John the Baptist is preaching. And this message is not popular. And the message was not popular back then, and the message is not popular now. People do not like to be called to repentance. People do not like to hear that they're wrong. People do not like to hear that they are sinful. People do not like to hear that they've offended God. And people do not like the idea of having to to depend upon Jesus Christ to save them. They think they can do it themselves. It is not a popular concept. People don't like saying, I'm sorry. They just don't. I'd much rather dig in my heels and just think that I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. Y'all know somebody like that? Everybody else is wrong. They're always right. Y'all with me on that? There are people like that. I see you pointing your finger at me, Keith. I'll pray for you. Here's his deal. Man, people don't like to hear the message of repentance. And yet, John the Baptist is preaching this and people are coming. There are some that are listening. There are some that are praying. And then there are some that are going all the way into the waters to be baptized by John the Baptist. Watchman Nee said this. He said, people who cover their faults and excuse themselves do not have a repentant spirit. There was a businessman, a well-known businessman. He was a ruthless businessman. And he announced to Mark Twain, he made a public announcement to Mark Twain, and he said this, Before I die, I mean to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. I will climb Mount Sinai, and I will read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top. Mark Twain replied and he said this, I have a better idea. You should stay in Boston and keep them. (laughs) I have this good idea. Why don't instead of you going to Mount Sinai and you reading the Ten Commandments, why don't you stay here? Why don't you keep the Ten Commandments? Here's the deal. At the end of the day, at the end of the day, people do not like to be called to repentance. They do not like it. Yet John chose this simple message. Repent and come back to God. And get this, people responded. Not everyone responded, but some did. Acts 3.19, repent then and turn to God so that your sins will be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Scripture is full of verses Calling people to repent. Second Peter 3.9 The Lord is not slow in keeping His promise, as some should understand slowness. Instead, He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God desires everyone 
all people to come to repentance. What did Jesus say in Luke chapter 5? I have not come to call the righteous, but center, but sinners to repentance. Man, God, Jesus came for the, for the very purpose to call sinners to repent, to turn to God and to say, I'm sorry. Francis Qualls said this, Heaven finds an ear when sinners find a tongue. Heaven finds an ear when sinners find a tongue. John the Baptist, his message was unpopular. He spoke the truth. Repent. Can I encourage you? I've been saved. I've been baptized. But I still sin. And there are times in my life when I just need to stop and I need to say, God, I'm sorry. God, I've screwed up. God, I have messed up. Guys, I really hold to John 1.9 that if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. When I am saved, God has forgiven me of my past sins, of my present sins, and of my future sins. But there are times when I just need to stop and I need to turn my eyes towards heaven and say, Lord Jesus, I am sorry. Gentlemen, John the Baptist's message still holds to us today. I want to encourage you, even though you might be a Christian, to take time to stop and to say, man, God, I'm sorry. I need to repent. This leads us to our next thought, and that's this. John's message was not kind to those who were holier than thou. John's message was not kind to those who were holier than thou. In verse 7 it says this, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was, baptizing them, he said to them, You brood of vipers. And he said it with an explanation point. This is what he did. Snake! That's what he did. Now how many of y'all seen the snake? How many of you have seen a snake? And what did you do? You killed him, but what did you do first before you killed him? Snake! Ah! Because those things are sneaky. You'll be walking along the trail. You won't see him, and all of a sudden you'll look down, and there you'll hear him, or you'll see him, and what do you do? Ah! Man, there are things that I hate on this earth. One is cockroaches. Two is June bugs. I hate June bugs. Go ahead and laugh. They're scary. And three is snakes. And, I, and I'm telling you what. I don't care if it's a garden snake or if it's a cobra or if it's a black mamba. I don't care what kind of snake it is. If it is around me, it's a dead snake. I hate them all. I hate snakes. And I'll tell you this, I am scared of snakes. And so get this, John the Baptist, he's preaching, people are being baptized, people are repenting, guys. Revival is kind of starting to happen. People are turning their hearts and their minds towards God. 
And the Pharisees and the Sadducees are standing around. They probably got their shoulder, their arms crossed across their chest. They probably have a pouty face, probably frowning, looking at all these people, repenting hearts and lives, being changed people, getting baptized. And John the Baptist sees them and he calls them snakes. He calls them a brood of snakes. There's a pack of snakes right here. Have you ever been walking in the woods and you come upon a snake? You step back. You take a step back. Man, what is that? Some interesting facts about snakes. First of all, snakes smell with their tongue. Snakes do not have eyelids. That's kind of creepy. Did you know that? They're just all the time. There are around 3,686 species of snakes, and they should all die. That's just my personal opinion. Snakes are found on every continent of the world except Antarctica, but I'm sure there is a snake there. If there is, I won't kill it. Snakes can slither. Get this. Up to 12.5 miles an hour. I can't run that fast. That's bad news for me. I didn't know that until last night when I was studying this. Snakes can slither up to 12.5 miles an hour. And you know what I said? You know what? I'm a dead man if a snake comes at me. And here's what's really disgusting. 1.1 million people across the world own pet snakes. Weird, okay? I don't know why you want that animal in your home. Now the fact that John the Baptist calls these guys snakes is huge. Because back in Genesis chapter 3, the snake is a cursed animal. It is cursed to slither on its belly and to eat the dust of the earth. Snakes are mentioned more than 80 times in Scripture. Snakes are mentioned in Pharaoh's court. They're mentioned in the wilderness. They're mentioned on the island of Malta. They're mentioned in the Garden of Eden. Satan is referenced as a serpent. And they are all, almost always pictured as a lonesome creature associated with poison, death, and craftiness. They're associated with poison, death, and craftiness. And what does John the Baptist point do? He turns, he points at these guys, and he calls them snakes. And he doesn't just say, hey, y'all are snakes. He goes, snake! With a warning, you brood of snakes. You pack of snakes. Why does he call them snakes? Because the repentance that John is preaching and teaching, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they are so self-righteous, they turn and they look at each other and say, man, we, we're too good. We don't need this. <laughs> we are too good. What is he doing? Man, we're good. Have you seen us? We are Pharisees. We are Sadducees. This does not apply to us. Repentance? Man, we're good. We keep the law. 
Romans 3.23, For who? All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.9, earlier in Romans chapter 3, it says this, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all, for we have already made a charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So we are all sinful. We are all sinful. Now, I've heard John Mark talk. He stood up here. And I'm just going to simply repeat what he's already said. Is that, guys, we've all messed up. And when I say we've all messed up, I don't mean you out there in the audience. I mean you out there in the audience as well as the person standing here. I have messed up. I woke up this morning, gentlemen, and I've messed up. I'm just going to go ahead and admit. Okay? I've messed up. And we ain't even hit 7 o'clock yet. It's going to be a bad day for me. (laughs) It ain't even 7 o'clock yet, and I've already messed up. I have already made some mistakes. I am imperfect. But guess what? The same is with every single person in here. Isaiah 64, 6 says this, We have all become like the one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like polluted garments. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. Guys, we can either sit back and judge each other like Pharisees and Sadducees. We can point fingers at each other and tell each other how wrong each other is. We can all be a brood of snakes full of venom. And guys, I'm going to tell you, I've been a part of churches and I've been on staff at churches where there are broods of snakes. And it's not a fun place to be that sit back and that point fingers and that have a holier-than-thou attitude. It's not a fun place to be. So we can sit back and we can point fingers at each other and we can judge each other or we can love one another. It's that simple. We have two choices. We can either judge each other or we can love each other. 1 Peter 1.8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Love covers a multitude of sins. Man, we need to forgive each other. We need to stop sitting back and judging each other. Rather, instead, we need to love each other. I have this in my office at my house. Can you see that online? This is the head of a diamondback rattlesnake. It is disgusting and it makes my skin crawl just to hold it. <laughs> but, and I have this in my office at the house. It's sitting up on, on bookcase there on mantle. And I have this and one time I was hiking up in Colorado and the diamondback rattlesnake is, is native to, to Colorado. And I happened upon this particular snake. 
And after I freaked out, I said, I've had enough, and I killed it. Now, this was quite a battle, an epic battle, and a story to be saved for later. But after this great epic battle, and I won, and I did not get bit, I took this snake to, to be mounted, this head to be mounted, and I have it in my office for this very reason, to remind me not to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. That's why I have it. Well, I have it also because it looks cool. And when people walk into my office, they're always like, cool, man. That's a cool snake. And so I have it because it's cool. But I also have it for a spiritual reason. Man, that, that reminds me. There's no need to judge. There's no need to be a Pharisee or a Sadducee. Do not be a snake. And this leads us to our third and final thought, and that's this. John the Baptist's message points everyone to Jesus Christ. It points everyone to Jesus Christ. Verse 11, I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with holy water and fire. John the Baptist, his ministry grew and his message grew in popularity. But as that message grew in popularity, what did he do? What did he say? Hey, guys, don't, don't follow me. There's this guy over here. His name is Jesus. You need to follow him. What did he say right here? Hey, listen, repent and be baptized. The kingdom of heaven is coming. You vipers. You guys think you are so cool and so good. But the reality is, is that there is somebody coming. And he is coming to judge the world. And it is time for you to repent. And it's that guy right over there. His name is Jesus. Y'all go follow him. What did John say in John chapter 3? John the Baptist say, He must increase and I must decrease. It is not our job as Christians to convict people of sin. That is the job of the Holy Spirit. It is not our job as Christians to save people. Our job is to simply teach and to preach a very simple message. We are all sinners and we all need a Savior. The only one that can save us is Jesus Christ. Do you want Him or not? Yes or no? That's it. That's it, gentlemen. That's all it takes. I was a sinner I repented of my sin and told God I was sorry and that I wanted to follow Him. And I chose to follow Jesus Christ. Luke 10, 19, or 19.10 For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. 1 John 4.14 4, And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Romans 10, 9, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised Him from the dead, what does that say? You shall be what? Saved. You shall be saved. Guys, that's our message. Our message is, hey, repent and be saved. Repent and turn to Jesus. Our job is to simply point people to Jesus. That's it. We are just, we just, we know the direction to go. We know the direction to go. Where do we go? We go to Jesus. Charles Spurgeon said this, 
my evidence that I am saved does not lie in the fact that I preach or that I do this or that. All my hope lies in this, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. I am a sinner. I trust him. Then he came to save me and I am saved. That's it. So, gentlemen, I want to encourage you three things today. Number one, repent. Whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian, we all need to repent. And if you're not a Christian, you need to take another step. You need to ask Jesus Christ into your heart, into your life, and follow Him for all your days. Number two, don't be a, don't be a snake. Don't be a snake. And then number three, point people to Jesus. Let's pray. God, we love you and we thank you for this time we could come here today and open up your word. Thank you for your servant, John the Baptist, who gave us a great example as to what we should do as Christians to point people to you. So, Father, as, as we go our separate ways today, God, may our hands be productive. And also may our hands point directly to you. And so that when people see us, they see you, Lord Jesus. We love you and we thank you. We ask all these things in your name and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Y'all have a great day. Take care. Thanks for having me.